Praise God. Isn't it good to be in church this morning? Yeah. Amen. Praise God. Well, guys, we are in a series uh, on Christmas. This is our third week, and uh, we've been talking about why exactly, trying to answer the question why Jesus had to come to earth as a man, why he had to come uh, the way that he did. Of course, what we celebrate at Christmas is the fact that Jesus uh, came to the earth as a man, was born in a manger. We know the story very well, but there was a lot of significance behind what was happening and the way that it was happening. And so what we've been talking about is why. Why did it have to be that way? Now, I can't go back and preach the first two sermons of this series. We, we're, we're deep into it now. We're well into it at this point. But if you missed the first two weeks, I encourage you to go listen on our YouTube channel on our website um, because it, we kind of start at the beginning and just give a thorough understanding of why it is that Jesus had to come as a man. And the, the simplified version of it is that God had given Adam authority over this earth. He was made, he and Eve were made in the image of God and, and God gave them authority but through their sin they yielded that authority and gave that authority up to Satan and then the Bible now calls Satan the ruler and God of this world. Jesus came back to conquer Satan as a man, had to be done as a man, sinless man, came back, did what Adam couldn't do. The Bible even calls him the last Adam or the second Adam. He comes back and does what Adam should have done in the first place, which was defeat Satan and, and rule over Satan. He couldn't do it. Jesus did it. And, and now we're in a situation where we have two kingdoms operating in this world. We have Satan's kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, that's operating, but now we also have the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus preached about more than any other topic while he was here. The kingdom of God, also called the kingdom of light. So in scripture, you see the kingdom of darkness and you see the kingdom of light. And we're going to talk about those kingdoms today. And we're going to begin in Mark chapter 1, verse 27. Because we're going to talk about this morning how exactly it was that Christ took back authority from Satan and kind of what it means for us today. So one of the first things you're going to see in the life and ministry of Jesus is that he had authority over Satan. He had authority over darkness and he had authority over sin even before he died. Now his death did conquer and purchase certain things, but Jesus himself had authority even before his death. And we see this throughout the Gospels. Here's just one example, Mark chapter 1, verse 27. Let's pay close attention to some of the things that are said here. It says, They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority. So notice right from the beginning, people are recognizing his authority. And it says that they were astonished by it. Maybe you've, ever, maybe you've seen this before. Uh, we, we've seen this where somebody speaks and it just about puts us all to sleep, which, by the way, if you fall asleep in my sermon, our ushers have little water guns in their pocket. They just come up and just... I always wanted to implement that, but never, never did. But anyway, uh, you, we've all experienced that, but we've also experienced someone who teaches, preaches, or speaks with authority, and there's a difference. So it says, they were astonished at his teaching, 
for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Man, that's kind of the ultimate insult, you know, if you're a scribe or Pharisee. They're right there like, man, we're used to hearing these scribes teach. We're all falling asleep. Then Jesus comes in, and he's talking with authority like the things that he's talking about actually are real and actually matter. See, the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they, knew, they had head knowledge, but they hadn't been transformed in here. They, they knew like the academic side of what happened and even today we have this in churches we, we you know the, the the theological side and we we study and we use these big words and we can present it in our universities and things like that but there's no power in it because you're, you're talking about it like you would talk about any other subject like just something to study and write papers about and have discussion groups about but Jesus came in as one that actually lived the truths of these things that were going on and so when he taught, they were astonished because they were not used to hearing uh, and seeing some of them with authority. And I'll tell you what they were really experiencing. What they were really experiencing was the anointing that was on his life. And he, and he taught this in one of the synagogues. One, one, one time he taught it, he said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty and those things. So he said, there's an anointing on my life. They said it was authority, but really what they were experiencing was the anointing and the power that was on his life. And so they were astonished by it. He taught them with authority, not as the scribes. And immediately, there was one in their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So while he's preaching, somebody with a demon shouts out. Have any of you ever been in a service where this has happened? Because I have. It wasn't here. But it might be here. You got to pay attention. You never know. Yeah, demons are real. They still exist. Demons have power and try to work in people's life that they can when they can and but the bible says that jesus came to destroy the works of the devil but yeah i've been in a service i have been in services where there was somebody that was oppressed by a demon and uh especially if you travel overseas and you get on the mission field you'll see more more and more of that and and people get freaked out by it but the truth is is that jesus came to conquer all of that and, it's, and, and, you know, the, it's funny because Hollywood likes to present it like, like the demonic and, and Satan is this big, terrible, you know, person. And, and when they present the demonic or they, they present Satan and, and the, the darkness and things like this, it's always super scary and super it's something to be afraid of and terrified of. That's exactly how Satan wants you to see him. But that's not how he is because the Bible says that he's been defeated and that the smallest Christian, you could take a child, you could take a child out of our kids' ministry that understands the authority that they have in Christ, and the Bible says that through the name of Jesus Christ, they have authority over demons. So it's, it's not anything like that, but a person that doesn't understand it, they walk in that. But actually, we've been given authority in Christ over all the power of the enemy. You're going to continue to see that as we read this morning. So while he's preaching... A demon cries out. He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. See, there are things going on in the spiritual realm that are not going on in the natural realm. And in the spiritual realm, the, the natural realm, people didn't really know who Jesus was. 
But in the spiritual realm, the demons recognized they knew exactly who he was. And so they're crying out. This man couldn't have known that, but he was filled, he had a demon. And so by that demon, he was calling out and he was saying who Jesus was. He said, you're the Holy One of God. But look at this. Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. They'd never seen this. They'd never seen this. They had people that were demon-possessed, demon-oppressed. You see it all through Jesus' ministry. Everywhere he goes, he's healing people of these types of things, setting people free from the power of darkness. And, and they'd never seen this. They, 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 these were the type of people that what they would do, they would take them to the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, they had no power. They would take them to doctors and, and, and people of professionals and say, can you help them? Can you do anything for them? And nobody could do anything for them. And with one word, Jesus looked and he said, be silent and come out. And immediately the spirit obeyed him and came out. You see this over and over and over and over again in the gospels. Well, listen, you can't do that without power and authority. And what we've been studying is that Adam had turned over that power and authority to Satan. But now Jesus comes, now a man comes who has authority over the kingdom of darkness. And even with just a simple word can say, be silent and come out and it has to obey him. That's the type of power and authority that Jesus walked in. And then of course, there's, this is only one of dozens and dozens and dozens of examples throughout the Gospels where Jesus did this over and over and over and over again. And people will say, well, yeah, but that's the Son of God. But here's what the, one of the greatest revelations of the New Testament is, is that Jesus delegated his authority to the church. He delegated his authority to us. If you remember the Great Commission, he sent us out to baptize, heal, cast out demons, he gave us that power and authority. We see it in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Why? Because, well, he left. But the church still has a job to do. The church still has a mission to accomplish. And what the Bible teaches is, is that we, we now walk in that authority that Jesus walked in. At least it's available to us, and we have access to it. It doesn't mean every believer is walking in it or using it. But it's there, and we have access to it. Luke chapter 10, verse 1, you, you can see right from the get-go that it wasn't just Jesus that had this kind of authority, and it wasn't just the apostles or the twelve. And that's why I want to show you Luke chapter 10, 1. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72. Everybody say 72. 72. All right, so there's at least 72. Now, maybe, maybe 12 of them were the disciples, but we still have 60 that weren't. All right? It says, after the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, in every town and place where he himself was about to go, verse 9, he said to them, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. You see, they're making an announcement that by the Son of God coming out of heaven and coming to the earth, he's establishing a new kingdom. He's establishing a new order, a new rule, as opposed to what? As opposed to the old kingdom. The old way of doing things, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. He said, now that Christ has come, 
we're establishing a new kingdom. And so he says, when you, and, and, and you see that these things are associated, that they're linked together. He says, go and heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. How did they know the kingdom had come near? Because they were experiencing the power of the kingdom. That they're, they're connected, they're linked together. What he's saying is, bring this power, bring this authority, okay? bring, bring this healing, these miracles, bring this with you, and when people experience it, say to them, this is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come to you today. How did we experience this? How did we get that healing? How did, how did the devil get cast out? How did, how did I get the freedom from the bondage I've been experiencing? He said, because the kingdom has come. And with the kingdom came power and authority. So he delegated his authority to them. Go uh, skip down to verse 17. Basically, they go out and do what he said. Then verse 17, they come back. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They were shocked. They couldn't believe it. They, I, don't, I think half of them didn't expect it to work. They said they came back filled with joy. They said, Lord, guess what? <laughs> Even the demons are subject to us in your name. Well, how many know Jesus wasn't surprised? That's, kind of, that's what he expected to happen. But these guys went out. I don't think they had any special training. I don't think they had any special degree. Because guess what? It wasn't really about them. It was about the authority in the name of Jesus. I doubt every 70, I doubt all 72 of them were super spiritual. I doubt all 72 of them had degrees or some close personal relationship with Jesus. If they're anything like most people we meet in church, as a matter of fact, they probably varied in different degrees. You had probably a few people living right. You had some, uh, not quite. <laughs> Maybe some been following God for a long time. Maybe some just got saved yesterday. Who knows? But none of that mattered because it wasn't about that. They were walking in and under the authority of Jesus Christ. So they came back. They were shocked. They said, oh, my Lord, it worked. We went out, we did what you said, and even the demons were subject to us. I said, come out, and they came out. But notice what he said. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. Y'all remember in the, in the book of Acts when a, a group of people tried this that didn't really know Jesus? They saw Paul casting out some demons, and so they were going to try this. And they said, hey, we, we command you to come out, Satan. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And the demon came out all right. It came out on them, on top of them, ripped them to shreds, tore their clothes off, all of that. Because they weren't subject to Jesus, therefore they had no authority. See, the, the authority is for those who've been born again. They are now sons of God. They are subject under the authority of Jesus Christ. Therefore, they carry the same authority that he had. It's not, it's not magic. You don't get to just go, hey, it's not like abracadabra and this works. But by being truly a servant of God and submitted under his authority, you carry and walk in this authority. So a Christian has complete, the, I'm talking about the least Christian, all right? The, the one that you're like, they're just barely saved, okay, if there is such a thing. You know, like they're just, they're on the edge. They walk in this authority according to the scripture. So he says, they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name, verse 18. And I love his response. He said, he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. See, now he's going back 
he, he's going back before man was even created. He's going back to the, the, the war that broke out in heaven where Satan tried to rebel against God. And he said, he said listen, I'm not surprised that you have power over Satan in my name. He said, I saw Satan cast out and he fell like lightning from heaven. In other words, he came down with a sonic boom. He was cast out of heaven. So it doesn't surprise me that you have authority. And then verse 19, he said, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Let me ask you a question. Is this scripture true? And is it true today? It is true today. Notice what he said. If this is true, this changes everything. Notice what he said. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. How many of you know he's not talking about snakes and bugs? He's talking about the demonic. He said, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Everybody say all. All, all the power of the enemy. That means nothing's left out. He said, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. So they were walking in his delegated authority. Again, they were surprised that it worked, but Jesus, Jesus was not surprised. It's kind of like if you think about the way, let's say, for example, that our, uh, that our police force is set up. You know, you, you encounter the average uh, police officer on the street or on the sidewalk, and they, you know, they have a badge, and they have a measure of delegated authority. Now, they, they might encounter a group of 10, 20 people. And it's just one of them. And, but then they have authority. And the reason they have authority is not really because of who they are. It's because of who's backing them. Because everybody knows it's not just the police officer by himself out there just doing his own thing. No, there's an entire police force that backs him. And then, and then behind the police force, there might be uh, uh, the sheriff, or there might be, uh, even be, if you keep going, it might be the, the power of the state and the governor. And it just keeps going that it's all this authority. The, the, the deeper you go, the further you go, there's just more and more authority that eventually they may have the whole military coming after you if you do the wrong thing. But it all starts with this one person that has delegated authority. Now, uh, I understand we don't live in a perfect world, and it doesn't always work just like that. But in, in, the, in the spiritual things, this is how it works. See, I, I stand up here today and speak to you with authority. If you're a husband, a wife, a parent, and you take authority in your home, okay, over strife, over sickness, over, over rebellion, if you take authority in your home, guess what? All of heaven is backing you. It's not, you're not just standing in your own authority. You're standing in the authority of Christ. You're actually enforcing, you're enforcing the authority that Jesus has given you. And you're saying, I, the kingdom of darkness has tried to come in my life and family, but I'm taking authority and pushing it back. This is why the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is why in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus told uh, Peter, he told the disciples, he said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What does that mean? It means if you bind something here, all of heaven is backing you. If you bind it on earth, he says, I'll bind it in heaven. He said, whatever you loose on earth, I'll loose in heaven. In other words, you bind strife, 
in your, in your family? He said, I'll bind it in heaven. He said, you lose peace in your home? He said, I'll loose it in heaven. So all of heaven is backing you, but most Christians don't even understand the authority that they have in Christ. And as you begin to understand the authority that you have, it will change the way that you live. It will change the way that you operate. It will change the way that you stand up to evil and sin and Satan in your life. And you won't allow him to do the things that he used to do. You won't yield to the same temptations that you used to yield to. You won't allow him to just cause problems in your life the way that he used to because now you understand your authority. You go, you have no right here. I have the authority in the name of Jesus and all of heaven is backing me and you have no right in my life. You have no right in my home. You have no right in my children. You have no right in my marriage. Not too long ago, probably a couple years ago, uh, we were at my house and we have, we have sheep at my house and um, we had a lamb, a, a lamb that was born. It was a male, it was a ram and he was the biggest he was the biggest sheep that we ever had born. As soon as he came out, he was like twice the size of everybody else, and you could just tell he was muscular, he was big, he was strong. It was like, man, that, we never had one born like this. And so my kids, they wanted, and I'm not saying I didn't have a little bit to do with this, but they wanted to name him after Rambo. And so they, they named him Lambo, okay? That's his, that's his name. And so Lambo... He's now grown, and he's the, he's the biggest sheep we have. You know, he's a big, strong, muscular ram. And every now and then, around our house, you know, one of the sheep will get out. And it's, it's a problem when they get out because they're fast and they're hard, they're hard to catch. And it could take time to catch them. Now, to be honest with you, uh, I have a German shepherd that's sort of trained to handle this type of stuff, and, and he will catch them. But the problem is, by the time we get there, they're usually bleeding. Uh, sometimes missing small parts and things like that so we don't do that except as a very very last resort you know we don't want that to happen so we're trying to corral one day Lambo gets out and we're trying to corral Lambo and you know it's one of those things that test your patience you know because you're working I'm working with my kids and they're not following instructions and we're trying to do things and, and you know this little lamb is fast and just when you think you got him he shoots to the other end of the field and you start all over and you go okay this is annoying uh, and none of us know how to rope or nothing like that, you know. So anyway, so well, this one day he gets out and we're in this process, okay. It's probably been 30 minutes of us trying to catch this knuckle-headed ram. Finally, we get him uh, cornered in this little sort of alley where he's, he's, he's trapped between the barn and this other temporary fence, you know, that, that run parallel. So he's trapped. And on one end is my daughter, Dakota. At the time, she'd have probably been about 12. And, and then me and McKinley, my son, are on the other end. And so he's trapped in between us, and we got him now, you know. So you can see it on his eyes. He gets trapped, and he looks down at us. He looks down, he sees me and McKinley. And then he looks down, and he sees Dakota. And you can just see him calculating. He goes, okay, I'm going that way. And so he takes off in a full sprint straight at Dakota. And I'm pretty sure they weigh about the same. And so he heads straight for Dakota. And in my mind, I'd already given up. Because you got to see these little guys ran, run. I mean, if you ever see two rams get together in lockheads, you go, I'm not standing in the way of that. Because that looks like they're going to break something. So he starts going full sprint towards Dakota. 
and I think to myself, okay, this is, this, he's getting out and we're going to start the whole process over because there's no way that she's stopping him. And that's what he thought too. So he's heading straight for her and I see Dakota get down like this. <laughs> and I think, he's about to break a rib. This is not going to be good. And so right as he comes at her, I'm telling you, she's like this. He tries to go around her. She goes right around his head. Leg comes up over his back. That thing goes down like a sack of potatoes, just slams into the ground. And I'm telling you, he didn't move. He just looked up like a whole new respect. Just looked up because, see, what Lambeau didn't know, and I'd forgot too, was Dakota had been taking jujitsu. <laughs> and she wasn't playing anymore. And see, sometimes the devil thinks that you're an easy target because he's used to them running over you. He's used to been having his way with you. He's used to, he's used to accomplishing, doing, watching you fall, watching you get defeated. But then you start coming to church. You start submitting your life to Jesus Christ. You start getting under the authority of Jesus Christ. And one of those days, he's going to come at you like that, and you're going to take him down to the ground. He's going to realize who has authority now. And I, I'm telling you, I've seen this process in people's lives. I've seen this where people come to church and they're coming out of the kingdom of darkness. And Satan is used to having his way in their life. And as everything's out of order, this defeat after defeat, broken relationships, sin, problems, addiction, all, and Satan is just having a heyday. All of a sudden they come in and they start learning about who God is. They start learning about who Jesus is. They start learning about who they are. And all of a sudden they're not such an easy target anymore. And what I'm telling you is, the more you realize this, and this is why Jesus came. You see, without, without understanding what we're talking about this morning, what are we really celebrating at Christmas time? See, if all, if all we celebrate is the things that we can physically see with our eye, like, oh, the cute little baby in the manger, and the hay, and the shepherds, and the angels, and the gifts, and you just celebrate that, that's just, we're scratching the surface. We're barely scratching the surface because what I'm talking about this morning is the purpose of why Jesus really came. Jesus came to win back the authority that man had lost. He came back to crush the kingdom of darkness. It's not just a cute little Christmas story with, with lambs and, you know, halos and angels. And, and, all, and we're trying to represent something when we have that. But I think sometimes we lose sight of the power of Christmas. Because without this if, if this, if none of what we're talking about this morning is true, Christmas doesn't have any power. If, if Jesus didn't crush the authority and the power of Satan, if we weren't set free from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, then what really happened at Christmas? And I'm going to tell you that a lot of people, about as deep as their understanding is of Jesus come to this earth, I've heard people say this, they say, well, Jesus came to show us the way of love. Okay, did we learn that from him? Sure. Yeah, we, we learned about love and, and all of that. But did you know that is just, that is a very, very, very small part and small understanding of why Jesus came. Jesus didn't just come to show us love. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He said that out of his own mouth. Okay, he came to redeem all of mankind. He came to set free every person that was captive and bound uh, and forever imprisoned in the kingdom of darkness, he came to set them free to throw open the gates and say, come out into the kingdom of light. 
He made a way for that through his death. Of course, it begins with his being born, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. But the real victory of Jesus' life is not his birth. It's his death on the cross. It's his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what defeated Satan once and for all. And sometimes people will say, yeah, but, uh, but Satan still has power and authority. That's why I said there's, there's two kingdoms operating. Anybody that's not yielded their life to Jesus Christ is still living and operating in the kingdom of darkness. But they're free to come out at any time. They're free to leave that out. That's why the gospel, really, if you want to know what the gospel is, the gospel is an announcement. Okay, It's a proclamation saying, you are free. Come out of the kingdom of darkness and come over into the kingdom of light. Will there be people that just stay over in the kingdom of darkness? Will they reject it? Yeah, absolutely. That's their choice to do that. But every one of them are actually free to come out and they remain bound by choice. Anybody can come out at any time. And that's the beauty and the glory of the good news. And that's really what we ought to be proclaiming at Christmas. That is the true Christmas story. So there was a new kingdom established whenever Jesus came on the scene. Matthew 12, 28, the Pharisees were accusing him. They, they didn't know how to handle you know, him casting out demons. They didn't know what to do with that because he had power they didn't have. And so they start saying, well, okay, but he's casting out demons by the power of demons. He's casting out Satan by the power of Satan. And in Matthew 12, 28, Jesus answered this. He said, well, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So he said, you got a, you got a reality you got to deal with here. He said, first of all, he explains to him. he said, I'm not casting out Satan by the power of Satan. That don't make any sense. A house divided against itself can't stand. Why would he cast his own self out? That makes no sense. He said, but... If what you're witnessing, if, if I'm casting out Satan by the spirit and power of God, then something has changed. Something has changed on this earth. He said there is now a kingdom, a different kingdom that is operating with a different set of rules and, and different set of power and authority. And of course, we know that was the reality. There was a different kingdom that was being established. Luke chapter 17, verse 20 being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be uh, observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In other words, what he was saying is the kingdom of God is not going to be set up the way everybody thought it was going to be set up, where an actual king would come and set them free from the Roman rule and they would and that king would set up a physical kingdom and power and authority and all of that he said that's when all that was being prophesied about you didn't realize that it was being prophesied about a spiritual kingdom and he said the kingdom's not coming in ways that you've been looking for but believe it or not the kingdom is already here and it is in the midst of you and what I want you to understand, we already know this, but what I want you to understand is there are two kingdoms that are operating simultaneously on this earth. You can't see either of them. That's why the Bible says we don't war or fight against flesh and blood. You know, you, you see something happen that's just 
dumb, stupid, you know, insane in our world, evil ways of thinking, sin, awful sin and wickedness. What the Bible would say is, you're not fighting against flesh and blood. We get mad at people. We go, well, how could you do that? How could you think like that? How many of you know there's a spirit behind the whole thing? The spirit of this world, because there's two kingdoms. Satan is still operating and moving. I don't get mad at people when I see horrible acts of violence or injustice. I don't get mad at people. I go, there's two kingdoms at work. That's the kingdom of darkness at work. And, and what our job is to enforce the kingdom of light and to spread the tenets and the rules and the power and the authority of the kingdom to our world and around us. This is what Jesus preached. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and notice this, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now anybody who was watching with a physical eye would not have been able to observe this. Anybody that was watching the crucifixion, would have, it would have looked like a defeat. It would have looked like Jesus had lost. Even the disciples went into depression after because they thought that it was over. But what was actually happening in verse 15, he says, actually what happened was he was disarming the rulers and the authority. What he did was strip Satan of his power and his authority. And he put them to open shame by triumphing over, over them in Christ. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, Satan lost his authority. The Bible even insinuates that if Satan had known what he was doing, he wouldn't have crucified Jesus. He didn't realize he was sealing his own fate. The same way that Satan deceived Adam, I think Satan got deceived. <laughs> he didn't realize he was giving up his authority when he crucified Jesus Christ. And there's so much more to that we don't have time to talk about this morning. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You see, he said everybody, every one of us were subject to lifelong slavery, part of the kingdom of darkness. But he said through his death, he destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Now anybody can come out of the kingdom of darkness at any time and come over to the kingdom of light. Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Look at this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Did you notice? He said... He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us over to the kingdom of light. If you're in here and you've been born again, you've given your life to Jesus Christ, 
you've become a child of God. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness over to the kingdom of light. And if you are here and you've not done that and you say, well, I'm still over in the kingdom of darkness, guess what? You could be transferred this morning. You could be transferred over to the kingdom of light. You go, well, I don't know how to do that. That's okay. We're going to tell you at the end of service. It's real easy. It's real simple. It's not, it's not anything a person works for or does. It's all by trusting and believing in what Jesus did. Jesus did it all. He defeated Satan. He purchased your salvation. He paid the debt for your sin. He did, he did the whole thing. But all you have to do is believe it and accept it. Okay, real quick, we're going to go through what actually happened at the cross. Now, you might be thinking, well, man, we're talking about the cross. I thought, we were, I thought this was Christmas. Well, Christmas doesn't mean anything with what we're, without this. Yeah, we're, we're celebrating Christmas. But Christmas was pointing and leading to this moment. Without what we're talking about on the cross, there's no point in Jesus coming in the first place. So what actually happened at the cross? Okay, we're gonna I'm going to give you three things. There's several things that happened. But I want to give you three things that Scripture tells us happened on the cross when Jesus Christ was crucified for us. Number one, the Bible says that we received atonement for our sin. That means, that means payment. For our sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 25, it says, Whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The word propitiation literally means a sacrifice for sin. Okay? He was the sacrifice for sin. I've told you all this before, but, uh, and, and a lot of religions had this, you know, around the world, that there had to be some sort of sacrifice made for sin. You couldn't, you couldn't just leave sin undealt with. I saw a movie years ago, probably one of his uh, least popular movies, called, it was Tom Hanks was in the movie, it was called Joe and the Volcano. Anybody ever seen Joe and the Volcano? Look, that's, that's how popular it was, I didn't see one hand go up. Uh, pro probably should have never been made, but anyway, in the movie, for some reason, uh, that was the idea. The volcano was angry, and there had to be a propitiation made in the, in the propitiation. I think Tom Hanks ended up being it. Somebody had to walk up and get thrown in the volcano. And I don't remember whether he made it or not. Probably he made it. But that was the whole idea. If every so often a sacrifice for sin, somebody had to be thrown in the volcano and it would appease the volcano and then they would have so many years of peace. And th this, this idea is throughout all kinds of worldwide religions that there has to be a payment for sin and everybody comes up with different ways to do it some people crawl on their hands and knees for miles they walk through hot coals you know they lay on a bed of nails they, they do all kinds of crazy stuff and and what the Bible teaches is that Jesus was the final and ultimate propitiation for all sin worldwide all time past present future ultimate payment for sin his death paid for every person's sin past, present, and future of all time. He is the propitiation. You don't have to pay for your sin because he paid for it. 1 John 2, 2 says the same thing. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, you read scriptures like this, and you get them in Romans 2, that if you didn't read the whole Bible, you would almost think everybody's saved. 
See, in, in this scripture, if you only had that scripture, you might read it and think that. It says, he's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That means everybody sins. The whole world has already been paid for. Can you imagine the, the, the travesty? Can you imagine the sadness on the day when certain people stand before God realizing that their entire debt and entire sin had been paid for by Jesus, but they just didn't accept it? They rejected it. Can you imagine standing before God with the books opened and everything has gone through, everything of your life, every single thing, and you're accountable for it, to, to answer to God for it, and you have no propitiation for your sin. You are the one who's answerable and accountable for your sin. Can you imagine that day? Especially when you realize Jesus already paid it. You didn't even have to answer for this. Jesus already paid it for you, but you rejected it and you, and you would not accept it and you, you, went, you decided to go your own way. The Bible says when people find out that revelation, it says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Of, of the, the horror when people find out the, the judgment and the penalty that remains on their life because they didn't accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's a day that's coming. So the first thing that happened on the cross was atonement for sin. The penalty for sin, which is death, was paid for and absorbed by Jesus Christ. The second thing the Bible tells us that happened at the cross was reconciliation, meaning that the relationship between God and man was bridged. It was like two friends that had been separated and hadn't talked in years and the cross made reconciliation between God and man. There was now peace between God and man. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and then entrusting us the message of reconciliation. So now our job is to preach that message. Hey, you've been reconciled to God to let the world know your sin's been paid for, and now you can be reconciled with God. God's not mad at you. God's not angry at you. You can walk away from everything you've been part of. You can receive a fresh start, a new beginning. Jesus has already paid it. You can be in right relationship with God today. And what do you most often hear when, when, if somebody's done a lot of things in their life? A lot of times they'll say, well, I don't know. God could never forgive me for all the things I've done and, and all the horrible things that I've done and, and happened and the ways I've rejected him and the ways I've sinned. And you just don't understand how good the good news is. No, you've been forgiven. It's all been, now the path has all been laid for you to be completely whole and reconciled to God, the creator of the universe. You don't have to live in fear anymore of what judgment day is going to be like. Because you can know, my sin's been paid, I've been reconciled with God. There's no better news than that, amen? And finally, number three, what happened on the cross? Well, sin and death were defeated. Now this one I could preach, I could probably preach about three sermons on this one thing. But I guess to really understand this, you need to know what sin and death is because our, our minds we hear those words so often that we just we think we think of them in very simple terms but sin and death are almost like a, a personality in scripture almost, almost like a power or almost like a demon themselves 
sin and death were defeated. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we, this is one of those things that we take for granted as Christians. But without Christ, it's not a given that you could defeat death. See, we, we believe in the afterlife. We believe in eternal life. We believe that we're going to be with God for eternity. But I think sometimes we take for granted that, you know, it didn't have to be that way. It could have been that when you died, death had the final say and final grip over you. It could be. That all that happened when you died was that you were eternally separated from God. It could be that when you died, you just laid in the ground and rotted. But Jesus, when he came, he showed that he has power over death. He died like other men, but death could not hold him in the ground. Death could not hold him in the grave. He overcame death and was resurrected to new life. And the reason that's significant for you is because when we look to him as our Lord and Savior, as our leader and king, we go, well, if he defeated death for himself, he defeated death for us as well. I don't have to be afraid of death. I don't have to be afraid to die. From a Christian perspective, really and truly, death is a promotion. I leave this life and go to the next. We're no longer afraid of death because Jesus Christ defeated death and he also defeated sin, or you could say the power of sin which held you in bondage. When you become a believer, you no longer have to sin. You're free from the power of sin. You now can walk in freedom. And he also delivered you from the fear of death. You don't have to be afraid of death because our King and Savior and Lord defeated death and so we have victory over death. Revelations 1.18 says, and the li- Jesus says this. He says, I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell. So our Lord and Savior, he holds the victory of it all. He obtained it. Through the process, we we celebrate Christmas, his whole life and death. He obtained it, he secured it, and then he gifted it to us. He said, this wasn't just for me. He said, this was for you. So not only does he have the keys and the victory over death and hell, but you have it. And we're called to walk that out, walk in that authority, all of our short time here on this earth to walk in the newness of life, walk in the authority that Jesus Christ obtained. Walk with the mindset of joy and peace going, my eternity is secure. Death, hell, and the grave have been defeated by Jesus Christ. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. We're not just celebrating, oh, the lights and the trees, and the, that's, that's fine. It's, it's great. But I'm telling we have a lot more to celebrate. We have a lot to be thankful for. Amen. 